Welcome to the Inclusion Think Tank podcast presented by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE. As the name suggests, this podcast will discuss inclusive education and most importantly, why it works. On this episode, I welcome my guest, Vera Pasecki. Vera and I discuss the academic and social benefits of inclusive education. So I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast presented by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I'm your host, Arthur Aston, and on today's episode, I welcome my guest, Vera Pasecki. And Vera, I am happy to uh, have you join me today, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Thanks for having me, Art. Yeah, we... uh, We've been communicating by email for the last few weeks uh, about setting this up. And, um, you know, it's been really great uh, talking with you uh, behind the scenes. And, and I'm excited to uh, share this, um, this conversation and this episode with everyone today. So to uh, start off, can you, um, can you explain to me uh, and our listeners, uh, for you as a parent, how would you uh, define inclusive education? I, I guess... All right, it, it's always been kind of simple for me. Um, when I think of inclusion, I just think of the real world. And um, there is no place in the world or in my community um, that my daughter with a disability is excluded. We sit at the same tables at restaurants. We sit in the same pew in church. Um, and the only place that I found that was segregated seemed to be our schools. And just logically that didn't make sense to me. So for me, I view inclusion, which I think every parent of a typical child takes for granted. I view inclusion as my daughter being able to go to school and experience the same things, being in the same classrooms as my older children did who are neurotypical. Um, So I had a very simplistic um, view of what inclusion was um to begin with but as she got into school it became more distinct you know where you start looking at inclusion in a classroom inclusion is not putting a child with a disability in a classroom and then pulling them to a back table and working with them on their own so they're they're much more as you get into the academics of it inclusion means so much but on a broad scale for me inclusion was having my daughter have the opportunity to go to school with her neighbors and community members getting in a carpool. Simple, simple things that parents uh, of neurotypical kids take for granted. Um, I remember once when she was in elementary school and we were struggling with the district and um, um, to keep her included, they wanted to remove her from the school. And I talked to um, a friend of mine whose children are are the same age as mine and um, I was talking about the worry, hoping, oh, that, that, you know, she didn't get written up for something or that they were documenting, you know, some of her, you know, any concerns or issues. And she said to me, she goes, she goes, oh, my God, I had no idea how much you worry, you know, day in, day out, things that I just take for granted. And I, and I think that's where I wanted to ultimately get to. I just 
I mean, so that was my thoughts on what inclusion was for me. Yeah, and um, can you um, can you tell us a, a little bit more about your daughter? Uh, you know, I yeah. I read up and saw some things, and you sent me um, some some Picture. videos and things, and and um, I'm I'm really excited. But can you share with us uh, about your daughter Hannah and what her uh, disabilities are, and and some of the things that uh, she has to live with. <laughs> yeah, Hannah is um, a 14 year old um, teenager. And I say teenager because everybody knows what that means um, <laughs> with, with Down syndrome. Um, she has uh, intellectual disability. Um, she has physical, um, um, you know, muscle tone, physical um, uh, delays. Um, and she also has um, speech communication um, challenges. She, um, she speaks um, very little in public because she knows she sounds different. So she's very conscious of those um, sorts of things. But Hannah um, has been included when, um, when she started preschool. I sent her to the same preschool that my um, older kids went to. Um, and um, and from there, she um, entered the district um, uh, inclusive preschool program at three years old, um, much to their chagrin because a child with Down syndrome should be in a self-contained classroom. Um, and, um, and she has been included with her, her classmates um, since kindergarten. So um, although she's different, a lot of them don't think anything of it because she's just Hannah. They've known her for so long. Um, so it's, it's been kind of a, a wonderful, I, I know I can kind of get off on a tangent, but um, I think when you include somebody and they're with the same group of kids and neighbors, um, there's a social aspect to it. You know, with, with schools, we take inclusion, we all think academics, 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 but the social side I think is, is almost or, or even more important. And, um, and to see some of the cards and gifts, she had a little party for her 14th birthday. And um, those kids just get her from knowing her favorite color to knowing what she likes to do to just some of the cards, I mean, that they wrote to her. I was just in tears reading how, how kind um, these kids were and how, how well they, they got her. That is basically um, Hannah. Yeah, and, and it's great because I, I love what you said of, you know, how her group of friends have been with her since kindergarten. Now she's 14. And like you said, they get her. And that mm -hmm. is so important. And I can remember, uh, you know, growing up and as very similar being in uh, along with the same group of kids in the neighborhood from kindergarten through sixth grade and then through middle school and high school, like, you know, there were more students added to the school population because uh, mm -hmm. the schools were bigger, but we still had, um, you know, those, that same group of people who were, yeah, who were yeah. still connected to each other. And I always, uh, I always say, like, I don't have children myself, but my friends who have kids and the way that my friends, um, let me into their lives and I go and stay at their houses so their children see me and I, I have a disability. I walk with crutches and use a wheelchair. And so it's, it's like, so I, I love to, to think that, 
you know, once, because, because they know me when they go to school and they see someone who is different, someone who has a wheelchair or crutches, they can say, oh, my mom's friend has that. It's no big deal. Right. So right. that is, um, it's right. so, it's so great how kids get it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is. The kids are never the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just a, a quick story. Um, in March, she got student of the month in her middle school. And, um, and the guidance, she doesn't like a lot of attention. She sometimes, if there's clapping all of a sudden sensory, you know, it, loud noises may upset her. So they were concerned, you know, with making announcements and wanted to make sure everybody was comfortable. So she got in her carpool in the morning and um, one of the little girls in the carpool said, Hannah, I heard your student of the month and you know, sort of thing. I said, yeah, it's great. I said, we're a little worried though that everybody's gonna clap, you know, when they make the announcement and, and you know how much Hannah, you know. And this girl, and she's not a little girl anymore, but this girl, um, was in her first period class and she said I got it and she went in that morning and before the guidance counselors could even get in she had taught everybody to do the sign language clap so that when they made the announcement everybody and and the guidance counselor had come in to do the same thing but it had already been taken care of and so those those are the you know I mean, those are the sorts of things. I mean, in elementary school, one day I went to pick her up. She wasn't at the front door. I must have gotten five phone calls from parents saying, you know, saying my kids are, are back with Hannah. They said she went out the back door. I'm like, oh, I misunderstood, you know. So they, they kind of look out or, or, or the little boy who told his mother that he thought a little girl might not be treating her nicely and to call me in elementary school. So there's this, there's this kindness, there's this kind of looking out for her that, um, that I appreciate. Yeah. So, yeah. And those friendships. So that's such a great story about the other student teaching everyone <laughs> the sign language. That is so yes. Good. Yes. Very, very early on. I have, I have an older sister that, um, um, is, is uh, you know, began her career teaching special education down in New Orleans and, um, and moved up the ranks. And so she was a big supporter of mine um, when it came to including. Uh, um, and um, she told me early on that Hannah would have a pit crew. She called it a pit crew, like at a car. So there would be one child that, you know, would keep her straight, then there'd be the nurturer, then there'd be, and it is so true everybody has like different personalities, you know, that kind of support um, what she needs. So it's, it's, she has her own little pit crew. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> what, um, I mean, we've, we've touched on all of this already, um, okay. which I think is, is so great. Um, but why would you say inclusion is important? I mean, I, I think in a nutshell, it's, it's um, the research you know, is clear. I think um, if you talk to the experts at NJCIE, like Fred, uh, you would say 50, 60 years of research is very, very clear that there are better outcomes when children are included. Um, that means, you know, when it comes to jobs, once they get out of school, I mean, it is, there is just nothing, there is nothing out there that counteracts the research that says inclusion makes a difference. And that is what I held firm with. Every time somebody wanted her removed or pulled out, I just kept saying, 
show me the research or show me the data that says she'll do better in a self-contained or smaller environment. And there was nothing there. It was like, we hope, or, you know, <laughs> so, um, so I think it's important. My job, our job as parents is to make sure your kids do, you know, live a happy, full life. I, I want her to have opportunities and inclusion based on all the research and data said to me, this was going to give her the best chance to have a full life. Following the data, even when, um, you know, I might've had um, situations where they weren't supportive of inclusion. And I, I, you know, I can remember a lot of days just saying, oh my God, what am I, what am I doing? You know, um, you know, when they, when they didn't want to modify the curriculum and she was struggling and, you know, suddenly, you know, because I don't want to downplay how hard this can be. Um, Hannah is not behavioral, but her way of extricating herself from a situation where she's nervous or whatever is suddenly she has a stomach ache or her throat hurts. Um, so when you have a lot of those situations, you know, something's going on and, 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 you know, and, and maybe the district wasn't being supportive and modifying and, 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 you know, and helping her in that situation. And you'd sit there and say, oh my God, what am I doing? I, I just had to hold firm to, to, to the belief that she was better off in that inclusive setting. And I think based on what we have gone through that, that, that has proved, um, proved to be right. So, um, so right now we're in a, in a very good place. Good. So, <laughs> um, what positive impact have you seen the inclusive education setting have on, uh, Hannah? Um, I think, um, um, I, I think clearly, um, academically, um, she, like most kids, they mimic kids around them. You know, they learn from the kids around them. And I remember in kindergarten, um, they sent a note home saying, Hannah would not leave for the fire drill um, because she apparently all the kids had left their reading book open and Hannah had closed hers, but she wanted to open it to the page where everybody else was. She noticed. So she wouldn't leave. So they took that as like a negative And I was like, Oh, good for her. You know, she's, she's modeling what all the other kids are doing. Um, and then as she got older, she, she pretty much held on academically um, without, she had a lot of accommodations. She had a paraprofessional and she, you know, maybe for homework, they would do only odd numbers versus odds and evens, those sorts of things, you know, less numbers. When she got to second grade, you know, we started kind of, you know, I knew the gap would widen academically. Um, so, um, but when we were in second grade, there were no goals or objectives in her IEP that said, but that talked about regrouping numbers. And there was Hannah, because she was exposed to it in the classroom, singing a song a teacher taught her about how to regroup. <laughs> We got to third grade. There were no goals or objectives about multiplication because she was exposed to it in the classroom. She was multiplying. So those were the points in time where academically, um, I was like, this is working. This is working. Now, was she a grade level? Absolutely not. And I think for teachers, that was very hard to see. 
teachers in a gen ed setting, particularly in New Jersey, I think, um, because inclusion is not, you know, widely embraced. Um, so I think it was very hard for them to see. And I, and I remember a teacher saying, but she's, she's not at grade level. And if you remove her into the self-contained setting, they can focus more. And I remember saying to her, moving to her to a small room would, will not make her get to grade level. She will probably never be at grade level, you know, in some, in some cases. Um, so, and they say, you know, she would go out one-on-one -on -one and they'd say, oh, she needs so much prompting in the general ed setting. And I'd say, how much prompting did she need one-on-one? -on -one? It was the same numbers. So it didn't, it didn't matter where she was. And I kept saying to them, she will never be a grade level. I don't expect her to be a grade level. I think the teachers thought I was some lunatic who thought my daughter was incredibly bright and, you know, <laughs> and, and could do, you know, she's a hard worker and, and, and I think she's amazing. Um, but I'm, I'm realistic in, in, in what she can do. Um, so that, that was, um, I, I think on, on academics. And then last year we had, um, um, a session with the seventh grade math teachers and they, they announced she was doing seventh grade math. It, it was just, it's just amazing. And, and part of it is, is that um, now that inclusion is being embraced in our districts, these teachers are so talented at um, taking her splinter skills. You know, the things that she's strong about. My daughter is a rule follower. Um, almost to a detriment. It, 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 she can drive you crazy. You follow the rules. Um, so her older brother tortures her quite a bit, you can imagine. Um, but um, you give her steps to follow and she's a rock star. So math, you know, you have the steps listed and, and she can do, she can do, you know, the work that's given her. So it's, um, so finding those splinter skills and, and, and really taking advantage of it. So academically, I, I, can, I can tell you, Art, when she was in preschool, I, I can remember saying to my sister, oh, what do we do that, you know, she gets to kindergarten, they start talking about telling time and she can't tell time. And my sister says, so she uses a digital clock, who cares? <laughs> Guess what? She learned to tell time, you know? And then, you know, I'd be like, oh, what do I do? And third, fourth grade, they're multiplying and she still can't, you know, worrying four years down the road, you know, what was gonna happen. And she got there and she was doing it, you know? I, I, again, some things, she may not be good with fractions, so maybe they don't have her do fractions with different denominators and things like that. But, but there are just these splinter skills and these, these um, 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 things that she can do that the teachers have been able to um, identify. I, I mean, middle school has been, has been a phenomenal experience for her. Um, so that's on, on the academic side. I mean, socially, um, because I never want to forget social, um, I, I've found that, um, that the community, um, and, and the kids are, have, have been spectacular. I mean, when the community, um, heard that, that Hannah, that the district wanted to remove Hannah from, um, her home school in fourth grade, you know, after she'd been with them since kindergarten, they really came out and they rallied. 
And these parents without any formal training on inclusion, they, they just got it. Um, when the teacher announcements would come out in elementary school, I would have parents call me to hoping that their child was in the same place, class as Hannah because not only was Hannah not behavioral, or you know, not that she wasn't an issue in the classroom, but she came with extra support, right? Whether it was an in-class resource and a paraprofessional. So those parents understood that there was a benefit to getting in class with Hannah, um, you know, or the parents that would walk up to me who had the, the uh, you know, the high, high energy boys who would say to me, oh, the teacher puts my son next to your daughter all the time because she's a calming influence on him. You know, those sorts of things. Or the new students that came in part year during the school that the teacher always put them next to Hannah. And to this day, she still has very um, close friendships to kids that came in in like second grade or new, you know, um, because the teachers would sit them right next to Hannah all the time. Um, so I, I, think, I think on the social side and, and for the neurotypical kids, I think the neurotypical kids have been uh, taught a lot of mes uh, messages as well. I mean, kindness, learning how to communicate differently. Um, in sixth grade math, um, they asked if, um, the, the teachers asked if, um, who wanted to work with Hannah on some math problems. And they said that, it was just overwhelming. Like the kids rushed the table to work with her the, to the point that Hannah actually started to cry a little bit because it was too much. Oh. So they actually had to kind of put up like a little waiting list you know, <laughs> to control who would work with her. So um, so I, I think there's there's a lot of benefit to kids being exposed. Like, you know, your your own story you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've gone into situations um, where I've, you know, walked with her into, into a private school that, you know, would not accept a child like Hannah and watch some of the kids kind of stare, you know, I call it the alien stare where they're like, <laughs> you know, like they don't understand. Um, and, and, and that's, that's bothersome because I mean, this world, everybody's different. Everybody is, you know, has their own unique challenges. And, um, uh, I think we're a better place if we're all together. So, so I just want to make academic and social. I mean, I, I think they're just, there's just so many benefits that we've, we've garnered from inclusion. Yes. And I think those are both important to mention, like the academic and the social, because that is, um, you know, when you first, uh, when we first started our conversation, you know, you said, like you sit at the same tables and restaurants and you sit in the same pews at church. It's, you know, it, it, it is our, our world outside of um, school. And as we grow older and become adults, you know, we're expected to all just be together in the same places. And, um, and then as you just mentioned with, you know, the, the stares that, that people give sometimes and it's, uh, you know, so, so I think as it's important that we start the inclusion uh, process in schools, like you said, from kindergarten and yeah. elementary school, just so it's nothing, uh, so that it, it becomes common and, uh, you know, becomes something regular that, uh, that the kids see. So it's not a, uh, something to stare at later on uh, as they get older in life because they've never seen someone with Down syndrome or someone that uses a wheelchair or, uh, you know, whether it's a guide dog or something or anything. 
uh, whatever their disability might be. Yeah, and, and I think people also need to be very clear that, that the research just doesn't say that only children like my daughter benefit. The mm -hmm. research is also clear that the neurotypical kids benefit. So any adjustment to, to maybe some of the way things are being explained or the work is being accommodated can also benefit the neurotypical kids in the class, forgetting all the other, you know, soft benefits of empathy and, you know, and, and just kindness. Um, but in the classroom, so the, the research is, is clear also that neurotypical kids benefit from inclusion as well. So, um, because in the old days, you kind of used to hear, oh, it takes, you know, the attention away. And, and I'm not saying, you know, you, you take a child with, a, with severe, you know, intellectual disabilities and just throw them in a classroom. I mean, they have to be supported appropriately, like any child. Um, but, um, but again, the, 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 I just keep going back to it. The, the research is clear. And, and for all the, the tough or nervous times I had when, when um, I was saying, what the heck am I doing here? You know, because she's my baby. She's my third. She's my baby. I sent her off to school before, you know, she needed somebody to help her lift her leg up to get on a sidewalk at three years old. You know, I'm putting her on a bus um, to go to a district, you know, preschool. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it does get very difficult, but I, um, just from a, a, a maybe helicopter mom, maybe I try not to be, um, but, uh, you know, hard to kind of let them go, but, uh, um, you know, it, it, there, there were very difficult times, but in the long run, I'm, I'm glad we kind of saw it through and, um, and, um, and I'm, I'm blessed to be in a wonderful and, and supportive community um, that yes. is embracing it all, yes. um, including our school district. They've made it um, one of their top strategic initiatives. So um, I'm, I'm happy we've all gotten to that point. Yes, and not um, definitely not a helicopter mom. I think you're just a mom who... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you are a yeah. mom who wants the best for their child. And and it's as as you said, it just doesn't benefit her. It benefits every child. And I think that is one of the most important things that you can ever stress that it's not just uh it doesn't just benefit the one child or the child with the challenges, the disabilities. It benefits the whole class. And it like you said, it goes beyond the the being kind and the empathy and and all of those things um, that are that are wonderful to teach children at mm -hmm. such young ages, um, but it I I can remember being in school and having trouble with math, and just the way you know the teacher explained it might not have been getting to me and and helping me understand it better, but just having someone else explain it to me in a different way, you know that that is, was beneficial to me. So it's, um, peer, peer models. I yes. mean, yes. I mean, just, you just can't do any better than that. Absolutely. Yeah. Spectacular. Yeah. So it's really, um, you know, I, I, I laughed cause I thought about my own mom and, and, you know, you saying helicopter mom and I'm like, no, you're just a mom. Cause like my mom, <laughs> and I know so many other moms that, that do the same thing. And, and they just, you know, like I said, you all just want the best for your children. And, 
um, you know, I think that that's every parent, you know, mom or dad or, you know, any relative, you just want the best for your kids. And, um, you know, as you said, every, every person is different in some way. We all have some type of different, we're, we're different than the person next to us. And when we understand those differences, I think is um, when we do become better, uh, you know, as a whole society and a, a community. And it's what makes life interesting, right? No one, yes. everybody. But um, yeah, and it, and it's and it's interesting. Like I'd say, like our community, you know, when when people started becoming aware that you know I was um, fighting to keep her in district when she was in elementary school. Um, you know, it was just amazing. I had parents that would come up to me of, of classmates and they would say, how can they do this? She makes my son a better person. <laughs> I get choked up. Um, and, um, or the parent whose, whose child was in self-contained in high school that didn't have the opportunities my daughter had to be included, who knew I was struggling and sent <laughs> a picture of a, um, a drawing, a beautiful drawing of a snowman and just said, don't stop fighting. This is what my daughter did all day in high school. You know, just drawing a snowman, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So those times when you when you kind of, when the, people don't even realize how they're helping you kind of, you know, keep keep the course. Right. Um, so that was very important on my, my journey. Once people became aware, because again, Hannah was kind of, wasn't kind of she was unique she was probably the only child with her significant disabilities being fully included back you know in elementary school in our district and um and now i have to say i mean um that the with board members that have come on and a new head of special education nji njcie um has been in training teachers it it is um it has, uh, you know, it's like the clouds have parted <laughs> and, and, and things are, are coming together, um, you know, much better. But I mean, I, I, I can't complain. She is my only child that has it, that, that likes school. My others always grumbled every day. She gets up, I drop her off and she, she walks in with her ponytail swinging because she's happy as a clam. Um, so, um, so I can't, you know, what more can you ask? She's happy to go to school every day. It's a wonderful thing. So, yeah. Wow. Well, Vera, this has been a great conversation. I've really, uh, I really enjoyed it. Oh, I hope it. so. I was a yeah. little nervous. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, this was, this was really great. And um, hearing your story and learning about Hannah, I think is, uh, going to be very, um, very special for our listeners to hear. And um, again, just to, I, I love stressing the, the academic benefits, but then also the social benefits of inclusion, because that is um, such a, a key piece to, um, to living at life and, you know, being in the community and, um, just embracing everyone's differences and you know like you said it makes it more interesting and it makes life fun uh, <laughs> you know we can uh, acknowledge and embrace the differences of everybody uh, so I appreciate you taking the time uh, to speak with me today and um, I hope you have a great day <laughs> thank you Art you too have a great home thank you for listening to this episode of the inclusion think tank podcast 
This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. This concludes part one of my conversation with Vera Pasecki. Join us next time for part two, where Vera and I are joined by Fred, who is the CEO of New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or Spotify and to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.